the foundations of righteousness never lie in a culture. The foundations of righteousness lie in who God is and in what God loves. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us. And Colin, I think it's good to be reminded of that because I think that there are some of us who will take a look at this culture and we will think that it's heading in the wrong direction and going that direction quickly. And we want to fight back against that. We want to stand against that. But we feel like we're just on the losing side. Oh, I think that's what Christians generally are feeling, isn't it? That there's a lot of change that is going on. And despite some very good things that we can see, it's evident that there's a very substantial movement in our culture away from faith. And then the question is, well, what are we to do about that? And and that can feel very discouraging. You know, are we losing the battle and all this kind of thing? Well, we have that directly addressed in Psalm 11. When the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Mm. Now, it's not one of these kind of throw up your hands and say, well, what can the righteous do? It's hopeless. You know, know, we're just defeated. It's when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then there's an answer. And Psalm 11 gives us the answer, and that's where we're headed today. Well, let's not wait any longer for that answer as we continue the message, how to pray when you feel like giving up. Here's Pastor Colin. Let's ask this question. Did Jesus ever have the experience of having to resist the well-meaning advice of a friend? Does Jesus know what it is to have to challenge these kinds of voices of fear and even of frustration? And the answer to that, of course, is absolutely yes. He's gone through all kinds of testings, just as we have. I can think of at least two occasions uh, when Jesus had to do this, to challenge the voice of fear and frustration from well-meaning friend One that's perhaps less well-known is in Luke chapter 13 and verse 31. Some Pharisees, we're told, came to Jesus and they said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Isn't that interesting? Of course, most of the Pharisees were enemies of Jesus, but not all of them. Some of them obviously were well disposed towards him. Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night? And here are some Pharisees who clearly value Jesus and value his ministry, and they're giving him some inside intelligence. They know that Herod's after him. And they say, hey, Herod's going to kill you. You better get out of here. Flee like a bird to the mountain, you see. And it's the well-meaning advice of friends. Uh, We're for you, Jesus. That's why we're telling you this. And, of course, Christ had to challenge the voice of fear and, and of despair and And he said to them, go tell that fox, I, behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. I love that. In other words, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just straight on with what I'm doing. I love the way he says, go tell that fox. I mean, that's hardly sort of appeasing your enemies, is it? You know, tell Herod, he's a fox. But of course, the other occasion when Jesus had to challenge the well-meaning advice of a friend, and you'll have thought of this one, many of you already, much better known. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things. He must be killed, and on the third day he must rise from the dead. And you remember what Peter said? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus, you crucified, he's saying. 
Oh, we love you. We need you. That is the one thing that can never, never happen. And remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. So Jesus experienced a temptation that was shot at him from Satan through the very words of a friend who wanted to be protective of him and had no real discernment as to what the actual calling of God was in regards to his life. H.L. Ellison, a great biblical scholar, has said this really, really well. He says, the love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. That's worth remembering. The love of your friends will often create your most subtle temptations. There will be, at different points in life, people who care about you very, very much, and they'll perhaps be the first to say, well, now, what's the point in carrying on? You know, this is taking a toll of you. Nothing good will come of it. And these words go into your soul. And you need to challenge the voice of fear and the voice of frustration. That's what David does. He says, now, look, in the Lord I take refuge. So how can you say to me, dear friend, flee like a bird to the mountain. How can you say, since I'm taking refuge in God, how can you say, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, here is the first way to pray, and it's crucial. That's why I've taken the largest amount of time on it. You have to learn, and there is an art in this, what it is to come into the presence of God and with Jesus Christ right there beside you to challenge the voices of fear and the voice of frustration. Second, and more briefly, recognize the hand of God in the testing, in the testing. Now, when David's going through all of this, he recognizes that God is testing him. It's twice in the, in the Psalm, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. Verse 4, his eyelids test the children of man. Remember that when the foundations are shaken, the hand of God is in the shaking. It's worth writing down and trying to remember. When the foundations are shaken, the hand of God is in the shaking. And in this, he is testing the righteous. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, the end of the chapter. You can check out there. God says, once more, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And what is God doing when he shakes things that are, you know, the familiar foundations of our lives? Well, when he does that, he shakes the things that are created, he says, so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Derek Kidner has a marvelous comment on this. He says, the collapse of what is built on sand may be distressing. And I'll just pause there for a moment, so just take that in. Here's this huge, marvelous house, and it's built on sand, and now the shaking comes, and the whole thing collapses. That's very distressing. It's a beautiful house. He says, the collapse of what is built on sand may be distressing, but it can also be a beginning. That's powerful. God shakes what's built on sand, that something may be built on a better foundation that would never have been built 
if that which was built on sand were allowed simply to remain. And you know, in a very real sense, that is what happened with Job. Remember the story in the Bible? Job was a righteous man. God had blessed him in many ways, and the infrastructure of his life was very blessed. Money, children, family, home. And you remember that in one day, the whole infrastructure of Job's life was hit with multiple disasters. It all happened in a day. And his wealth that was represented by flocks and by herds was completely plundered. The Sabaeans came, took all these flocks and herds off. In the same day, a mighty wind comes, and this marvelous home completely collapsed. And what is even worse, his children, all of his children, were inside the house at the time, and every one of them died in the rubble. It's the story of Job. And so suddenly, all of the infrastructure, all of the good gifts of God that, on which we natural de- naturally depend, all of the things that we think of as being foundational to life in this world, home, family, business, income, it's all gone. And Job's wife says, why don't you curse God and die? See what she's saying? Now, what's the point? Everything that we've lived for here, everything that we've worked for here is gone. And so, obviously, God has it in you. His bow must be bent, and His arrow must be pointing in your direction. What's the use of faith? What's the use of keeping on pursuing a righteous life? Job, you are a righteous man, but when the foundations are destroyed, what can even the righteous do? curse God and die. And it comes from the person right next to him. And don't you think when the person he loved said that, that it must have gone through his ear and right into his soul? How can you say to my soul? Job was hearing the voice of fear. He was hearing the voice of frustration, the voice of despair. But you know what? He challenged it. And he took refuge in God. And here's what he said. It's a beautiful verse, uh, Job 23 and verse 10. He said, God knows the way that I take, and when he has, notice the word, tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he's tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So not only does he challenge the voice of fear and frustration that comes from his wife, but he recognizes the test that God has brought about in these very circumstances of his life. And he says, now God knows the way that I take, and when when I have been tested, I will come forth as gold. And surely Peter, the apostle, must have had that verse in his mind when he takes that same principle and applies it to all of us, and he says, now look, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all going to experience many trials of different kinds. And when that happens to you, understand what is going on. It's rather like gold that is being refined in the furnace. And what will happen as you persevere through that test when I have been tested, I shall come forth as gold, is that the gold is going to be refined, your faith will be proved genuine, and more than that, it's going to rebound to praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
So how to pray when I feel like giving up? I've got to challenge the voice of fear and frustration. I've got to recognize the hand of God in the test. Oh God, this is a test, and I want to come forth like gold in this test. I'm going to be a quitter in this test. I want to come forth like gold so that that will rebound to praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, because when the gold was put in the fire, it was refined, and the faith was proved to be genuine. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called How to Pray When You Feel Like Giving Up. Now, we're going to pause here, but we'll get back to this message in just a moment. If you ever miss a broadcast, come and listen online. Our website is openthebible.org or listen through the Open the Bible app, which is free, and you're going to find that at your app store. But whether you listen to this program on the radio, online, or through the app, it's all made possible through your prayers and generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Pastor Colin has picked out. It is called Christian Manifesto, written by Alistair Begg. And this is a great book for anyone who's feeling anxious about the deepening cultural divide in our time. It's a book that's full of the grace and the wisdom of Jesus, that grace and wisdom that we all need today. And again, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Christian Manifesto, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. Find out more or give online at openthebible.org or call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or again, our website is openthebible.org. Back to Psalm 11. Here's Pastor Colin. And then here's the third thing. Challenge the voice of fear and frustration. Recognize the hand of God in the testing. Third, affirm the sovereignty of God at the hardest times. This is huge. Affirm the sovereignty of God at the hardest times. Now, notice how David overcomes his fear and overcomes the frustration that's being spoken into his life. He does it by fixing his mind and his heart on God. So that from verse 4 onwards, it's almost relentless. It's just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple, verse 4. The Lord's throne is in heaven, same verse. His eyes see. The Lord tests the righteous, verse 5. His whole soul hates the wicked. Verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked. For the Lord, verse 7, is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall see his face. So you see what's happening. Here's how I take refuge in God. Here's how I challenge the voices of fear and frustration. I recognize the hand of God in the test, and I lift my mind, and I just fix it on. God is on the throne. God is in his temple. Of course, there wasn't a temple in the time of David in the sense of the the temple that was built in the time of Solomon. So, what he's saying there is God is on the throne and God is with his people. That's what it means. And he's with me. And I can't put things right when the foundations are destroyed. I can't rebuild all the foundations, but God can. I can't deal with the wicked, but God can and he will. And, you know, here's the most wonderful thing. Look at it in the last verse. The Lord is righteous, and He loves righteous deeds. See, the foundations of righteousness never lie in a culture. They don't lie in our culture. They never did. The foundations of righteousness lie in who God is 
and in what God loves. The Lord is righteous, and he loves righteous deeds. And so, as a Christians, we may experience all kinds of change in the world around us. What we've got to understand is that the foundation of righteousness never rested in the culture. It rests in who God is and what God loves, and God is still on the throne. And when I feel like giving up, I need to get my mind and my heart fixed on Him. So, here's how to pray. You should look at how you're praying in times of discouragement and say, are these things there? Because this, this is what I need. This is how strength's going to come. Challenging the voice of fear and frustration, recognizing the hand of God in the testing, affirm the sovereignty of God at all times. And here's the very last thing, just briefly. Anticipate the joy of the final outcome. Anticipate the joy of the final outcome. I'm just looking at the last line of the psalm, and it's the best line of all. The upright shall behold his face. The upright shall behold the face of God. Is there any greater motivation and incentive for persevering through difficult times than this? I'm going to see the face of God. To a Christian believer, that means all the world. And here you're giving me this advice. You're saying, flee like a bird to the mountain. You're saying, what can the righteous do and all this stuff? And I, no, I'm going to take refuge in God. And I'm going to live my life with perseverance because here's what the outcome of it is going to be for me. Whatever happens in this world, I am going to behold His face. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus Christ, that's going to be the glory, the greatest joy. That's the, the outcome. That's the beginning of all the joys of eternity for you. I shall behold His face. One story, and then we're through for today. And it's a true story and a beautiful one about a British man by the name, now get this, by the name of William Montague Dyke. You know, when you're called Smith, you sometimes think, now, you know, William Montague Dyke. That's, that's a name. Well, here's the true story of William. He was blinded in a sad accident at the age of just 10 years old. Very brilliant. He went to university, and working through the disadvantages of his blindness, he graduated with very high honors. While he was in school, William fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer, and the two of them became engaged to be married. And shortly before the wedding, short time before, William had the opportunity of eye surgery that had the potential to restore his sight, but it was a one-shot deal, and he knew that if uh, the operation should fail, he would indeed be blind for the rest of his life. He has this operation, and of course, immediately after the operation, eyes uh, swathed in bandages, and uh, because it was only a short time until the wedding, William insisted on keeping the bandages on his face until the day of the wedding. If the surgery was successful, he wanted the very first person he saw to be his bride standing beside him. Well, the day of the wedding arrived, 
and the guests assemble to witness the couple taking their vows. William is standing next to his father, and next to his father is the doctor, the surgeon who had performed the operation on William. The uh, organ trumpets the wedding march, the bride walks down the aisle at the front of the church. And can you picture this? As soon as she arrives, the surgeon whips a big pair of scissors out of his pocket and uh, starts cutting away at these bandages. Can you imagine the tension in the cathedral? And everyone in the room holding their breath, waiting to see, would William actually be able to see the woman who was standing in front of him? And as he stood face to face with her, the whole crowd in the congregation heard one sentence just echo through the whole place as William said, you are more beautiful than I had ever imagined. Friends, one day you are going to behold the Lord's face. And having walked by faith, not by sight, the bandages are going to be taken off for you. And you are going to see that his glory is greater than anything that you had ever imagined. And when you stand in his presence on that day and you behold his face, you will be so, so glad that you persevered. What a story and what a line. You are more beautiful than I ever imagined. And just think, if you know Christ as your Savior, one day you will see him face to face. Powerful reminder from Pastor Colin today that we persevere in prayer when we feel like giving up because we can anticipate the joy of the final outcome. Our message is part of a larger series, With Christ in the School of Prayer. I think many of us go through seasons of life, even through long stretches, where we struggle in our prayer life, where we feel like maybe our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, like God's at a distance, and we feel like giving up. Well, you may want to get a copy of this message or this series to encourage you in your prayer life. Ask about how you can get a copy of With Christ in the School of Prayer when you call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's one 877-673-6365, or you'll find ordering information at our website. Just come to OpenTheBible.org. Well, Open the Bible is able to be on the station because of your generosity. Being listener-supported, it is your financial giving that keeps this ministry strong. So thank you for supporting Open the Bible. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Alistair Begg. It is called The Christian Manifesto, and Colin... How might we benefit from reading this book? Well, the Christian Manifesto sets out what Jesus Christ calls us to. I mean, what are we to be in this world? What are we to promote in this world? What are we to do in this world? What are we for in this world? That's the heart of what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount or in Luke's version. It's called the Sermon in the Plain. And Alistair draws out this teaching of Jesus in a wonderfully winsome and applied way. It's so practical. It's so full of grace. And it's so helpful and so encouraging. At its heart, what we're called to is a life in which we love those with whom we radically disagree, speak with gentleness and kindness at all times to all people, 
and to focus first on dealing with our own sins rather than with the sins of others. Now, that's very different from much of what we see around us. And yet it's the life that Jesus calls us to pursue. And in pursuing that life, Christians are going to shine like lights in the darkness that's around us. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Christian Manifesto, is our way of saying thank you for financially supporting Open the Bible this month. You can call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or you can find out more or give a gift online at openthebible.org. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. If Jesus is the light of the world, then why is your son or daughter having difficulty seeing how great he is? Find out next time on Open the Bible.